You are listening to Studying Pixels, a bizarre yet bona fide podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simond. I'm a game studies scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to talk about the quarry today and we're going to try our very best to keep it spoiler free. I think we can do that, can't we? I think so. And I also think sometimes I'm on the fence about giving spoilers or not. This is a game where you should you should play it. It's worth going in not knowing what's going on. <laughs> the less you know, the better it is. And that's kind of the premise that we're going to apply for this review as well. We might draw from certain examples, but we phrase them in such a way that we don't give any crucial developments of the story away. Because yeah, it's really, a, I would say it's a cinematic decision-based horror adventure developed by Supermassive Games. They had great success with Until Dawn in 2015. Until Dawn, I have such fond memories of that game. I think genuinely one of my favorite horror games, actually. Yeah. I, I really love the story and the twists and turns that, that those characters take. And I, I, I can't remember another game where I've been genuinely and thoroughly surprised like until dawn i think it was probably the most apt adaptation of this very cinematic decision-based style into the horror genre i mean we've had such things like of course the walking dead for example and life is strange batman all kinds of games that came out at the time that were like focused on like reducing the amount of just uh, gameplay skill and really trying to challenge players to make decisions and to relate to the characters. Mm. And Until Dawn certainly was one of the most interesting ones, especially because I think at the time when Until Dawn came out, it felt to me like nobody, including Sony, really knew what they had at their hands, yeah, at their fingertips. They developed this game and it was like people were getting excited about it. And Sony kept like really, you know, Keeping this, keeping the the ra keeping it a little bit under the radar, you know. Yeah, I remember at the time thinking that that was strange because it was so well put together, and the the motion capture and the cinematography. I mean, it was really like playing a film. And I think that it struck me as weird. And I, I think I, at the time I just chalked it up to the fact that it was horror, and that's kind of a niche genre anyway. But I agree with you; it did feel like they were kind of sweeping it under the rug, despite it being this incredible little experience that those in the know really remember fondly like we do. And ever since then, since this, I would say, surprise hit mm. of Until Dawn, Supermassive Games, they really try to kind of, well, up the ante mm. to exceed the expectations of their players, and they have consistently failed to do so. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did such things like spin-offs. You remember this? There was an Until Dawn, uh, something of blood, uh, where you, you're like in a VR roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I never played it because I don't know if this is, this is maybe the curse of having a really good property right out the gate is that you're always chasing the dragon with it a little bit. And I remember seeing that at the time and thinking, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll watch that on YouTube if I can, but I never did. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And it wouldn't be a good experience no. either because it was, Rush of Blood was its name. I just mm. looked it up and it was a VR game where you're sitting in a roller coaster and you're basically just shooting. You're shooting everything. Yeah. It's like a shooting gallery and it's a fun game, but it doesn't, it draws from characters of Until Dawn and like the horror tropes that it evoked, but it doesn't really go anywhere with it. 
it's not a substantially narrative experience. It's mm. more like an arcade shooting gallery. Here's what I'll say. I, I think that, and we can go into this whether the quarry succeeds in this or not, but I think that the real key to Until Dawn's success and why that VR game kind of fell by the wayside is because despite it being a horror property, it's a really compelling mystery story. And I think that that might be the stumbling point for Supermassive after Until Dawn. Yeah, exactly. Especially because they try to go further in that direction with their Dark Pictures anthology. Yeah. Where they started to then say, as many publishers do or many developers do, we've had a successful game. Why don't we ruin it all by putting <laughs> a game out every single year? <laughs> you know? Well, Why don't we see how much quantity we can produce completely neglecting quality? And now you you have a particular history with those Dark Pictures games, which I mm. I bypassed. And I think I was going to check them out until I heard your opinion on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it. The thing is that they started out with Man of Medan in 2019, mm. and that game actually looked quite promising. I remember I played it before it released at Gamescom, and it was pretty intriguing. It mm. was pretty cool. It relied a bit on jump scares, just like all of these games do, but the atmosphere was nice. However, it turned out it felt pretty flat. Mm. It was a horror game where you have like a group of young adults exploring an old like ghost ship, like an industrial tanker. And uh, it was just not a, an interesting setting because everything looked exactly identical wherever oh, yeah. they were on this, on this ship. And then they went ahead and they said, okay, why don't we do Little Hope next? That came out one year later and that was like set in a small village, strongly inspired by Silent Hill. Mm. And while it did have some nice ideas, again with, you know, like ghosts and, and all this kind of stuff, like it was tied to the witch hunts. Oh, okay. It's still, it, it always has like good ideas. There's always a seedling of an excellent idea there, but then it kind of loses itself in implementing all kinds of tropes mm. and not being consistent enough, not, not, not drawing the consequences from their own game design, basically. And then the peak was, and that's a, a terrible peak in, in that sense, <laughs> House of Ashes in 2021, where they said, why don't we make it more of a military setting, which is always a great idea for horror. Yeah. So why don't we put a, a couple of characters in the war in Iraq? and have them basically plummet into a cave where they encounter some old, like, vampire creatures. And they have rifles and stuff. It's still a decision-based game, mm. and it's not in itself terrible, but it had some issues with... I tried to review it back then with uh, a friend of mine, and the online connection would just not work, and we checked everything, and it's still, for weeks on end, they couldn't get the servers running properly. The game itself was not really worth the struggle to try to get it to run, basically. Well, that's a shame, because I do appreciate good horror narratives, which I feel we got a, we got a glimpse at the possible future, which is set in space, with horror games that are coming out after Summer Games Fest. But... I really like when video games are set in a horror setting and they take a lot of chances. So I'm always willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And it, it always kind of bums me out because I'm a huge horror fan when things fall flat. Because as you said, there's nothing worse than a wasted idea. And when you see an idea that you think, oh, that's, re that's really good. I wish that they had done X, Y, and Z with it. It kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. So there's a little bit of that in the quarry. But I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little more on uh, on the side of... Maybe this is a return to form to Until Dawn, but we can get into that, see if where we end up. 
I've been wondering about whether it is a return to form. Mm. It certainly is an attempt to do so because this time around, they decided not to continue in the treads of the, or in the footsteps of the Dark Pictures anthology. Mm. They instead basically disconnected the quarry from that anthology and made it very clear that this is basically a spiritual successor to Until Dawn. It's not directly tied to it, but it sails in the same wake. Mm. And, or sails in its wake. The thing is, I was quite baffled when suddenly The Quarry came out because House of Ashes, the game before that, it came out in, I think, in late 2021. So that would be October, I think, October 2021. And in June 2022, so less than a year, mm. they put out The Quarry. And that's why I can only reason that or speculate that they have been working on The Quarry on the side all this time to then see whether they are going to do anything with it and found it sufficiently interesting to say, let's release that thing. I think I agree with you. And it does it does have a certain level of polish to it, which makes me think that it's probably been in the works for a while. And it's not, it's not perfect visually, but it's a pretty impressive looking game. So it does give the impression that this was not just a, all right, this is this year's idea, like the dark pictures maybe were. It seemed more like maybe this has been in the works since after the success of Until Dawn. Yeah, and it, it's closely tied to the tropes that we've seen in Until Dawn mm. already. It returns to this idea of the teenage horror slasher, which is creepy to a certain degree, but never so creepy that you are like actually uh, frightened. It's not the grudge or something like that. It's not psychological in that way. Yeah, and Only very minimally so. It's mostly just like a almost like fun slasher thing. It's not, not comedy, but it has a lot of comedic elements. Mm. It is about a group of summer camp counselors that uh, stay at Hackett's Quarry. And summer camp is basically coming to an end. All the kids have left and everyone's on the way out. So there's this dude, he's called Jacob. He's one of the, one of the main characters. And he wants to spend another night at camp because he hopes that then he can still have a chance with his crush, Emma. Mm. However, so he manipulates the car so they can't leave and they have to stay another night. But it turns out that things go sideways fairly quickly as the teenagers as they are do not follow the instructions of the camp supervisor and instead they have a party and things go sideways fairly quickly and in which way and how good the story actually is that unfolds we'll tell you that in a second but first we have to briefly mention that if you like this show and want to make it happen then you can support us by joining studying pixels plus there you will get all of our episodes entirely ad free a lovely sticker and monthly plus episodes. Amazing. Wow. If you are as excited as I am, because I'm subscribed to Studying Pixels Plus, I'm always curious what we produce next. Oh, yes. Same here. <laughs> it's always a fun surprise. <laughs> it's always a fun surprise. You'll never know what will be on that plus feed. You can go to studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out more. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And we are back talking about the quarry and about the beautiful nostalgia of the summer coming to an end. I think there's just something so appealing mm. about the setup of summer camp is basically over. Everyone has to return to their normal lives and nobody really wants to. And so they just decide, you know, we're going to have one last big party, a campfire blowout, as they call it. Yes. One last glorious night of summer, especially the characters in this game are all, they're all going to college soon. And so this is kind of the last chapter of this part of their life. It always feels so appealing to me. I think for some reason, the end mm. of summer is one of the most appealing seasons to tell a story in. Yes. Because it's just, things are coming to an end. There's in a certain inevitability to the way that life progresses and moves on and changes people. And uh, these people that we experience uh, going through certain changes and hardships, they are all real stereotypes, proper stereotypes. Mm. We've Got to know a lot of them in uh, Until Dawn, but also in a lot of horror films. We've got like the typical jock. We've got the hot babe that is just like basically what she primarily is, is hot. Uh, we've got like the, the witty Asian yeah. lady, the recluse, the shy girl. They're all kind of there. Yes, we, we're all, we've seen these characters before. And one of the things that I think Supermassive does well, at least in these at least in Until Dawn and this, I would argue is they have a certain awareness of the tropes that they comment on without it being too much in your face and annoying. <laughs> it's it's just sort of, okay, everybody kind of fits their role and they're aware of their role to a certain extent, but they're not calling out the narrative structure of what their roles mean all the time. That kind of meta-narrative kind of gets on my nerves a bit. Yeah, you can also influence the way they play out their roles and the way they develop as characters a little bit. Usually you mm. always you always have like at least two different options on how to progress and what to say. And that really shapes the extent to which that character fulfills the trope of whether you make the jock, for example, a proper douchebag or <laughs> only an occasional douchebag who also has a soft spot. I remember a character, in an, uh, th th and this is something that will probably come up multiple times because I think very fondly on Until Dawn. And what Until Dawn did was it would present you with these tropes and then the jock would turn out to have a heart of gold. And so he would kind of be flipped on his head. Whereas in a normal horror movie, especially from the 80s, a jock is really just a character that's going to get slashed up at some point. But in Until Dawn, they say, no, well, think a little bit more. He's a fully fleshed out character. And so I went into this game with that expectation. And I think that it did a pretty good job of making them feel like fully realized people who were a little more than their tropes pretty early on. Yeah, who are a little, more than the, a little bit more than their tropes, definitely. But it never really goes out of its way, I have found to uh, subvert the tropes or surprise mm. you with like character developments because at least in the way that I played it it mostly was like yeah the, the jock remained exactly that and the, the he really did the, the hottie <laughs> she's kind of she she stays the hottie she doesn't like come around all mm. of a sudden and of course she's like of course she's got like emotions and of course she's a 
a fleshed out character, but it's not like it flips these, it flips the script on these tropes. It rather presents them and puts them into challenging situations. And it's up to you to decide to which degree you want to play out the stereotype. I have a question for how you played this. Did you choose to, when you had, because this is a choice-based game. So did you make the choice based on what you assumed these characters would really do? Or did you make the choice thinking you were in their shoes? What would you do? I mostly choose in accordance to the character, just because Mm, it's so many different characters. If it was just one person I would play, then I would infuse them with my own values. Mm. But since it's so many different characters, I think mine in total, uh, which is quite a lot for such a game, then I play out the characters a little bit. Though what I do is, and that's, I think, an important distinction, I don't necessarily play them in accordance to how they would work in a horror movie, but how I would expect them to act in real life. Such as when you hear like a weird noise, then in case of doubt, you run and you're not like slowly investigating until it bites your head off. Right, (laughs) yes. I think I, I did the same thing. And I remember... I always know that I'm having a fun time with the game if I'm speaking out loud to the TV. And there were moments where, as you describe, a character would be given the option to either run or hide. And I would say, there's no way you're outrunning this thing. Hide. <laughs> and that's what that's what I think you would do. Mm, that's exactly how it works. Should you climb up a tree or, or run? And I'm like thinking, I'm not going to climb up that. The I'm trapped. can climb yeah. up the tree easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a terrible idea. In a horror film, you would maybe mm. see that and you would maybe think to yourself like, oh God. But here you have the option to influence... Well, the that's, outcome. That's the most fun about these games to me is that when you're sitting in a cinema and you're watching a, a horror film and you're screaming at the screen, what are you doing? Don't go that way. You can actually make the character go a different way <laughs> and say, this is the smart way to do it. And that's kind of going back to the trope idea. I appreciate that it didn't flip the script because I feel like if it flipped the script, I would almost get annoyed because it would feel like, well, I'm I'm trying to play this role as this character who fits the jock stereotype or fits the, the witty stereotype, right? And so if at a certain point that was completely turned on its head, I would almost feel betrayed for falling for a trope or something. And I'm glad that it didn't do that in this game. It doesn't attempt to be Cabin in the Woods. No. It it has a little bit of the tone because it's often very tongue-in-cheek. And what I found very interesting is that even though there are like very existentially threatening situations, there's a high tension and a lot of danger that these characters face. But at the same time, they're always like weirdly witty and they're like bickering amongst each other, teasing each other, making like silly word plays or jokes. So they always keep it light, but never to a degree that it would become absurd or that it would become just like comedic yeah they're when they need to be scared out of their wits they are scared (laughs) yeah yeah it's so well conveyed which Mm. is also probably due to the fact that the cast of the the quarry is such a high quality we've got like yeah absolutely bafflingly star-studded from all (laughs) kinds of different horror series and horror franchises we've got like actors from scream from insidious from halloween 13 Reasons Why. Oh my God, I could go on and on with this list. Aliens, The Terminator. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty great. And you know, it's it's fun too because you see, sometimes that can be jarring when high profile actors show up in video games because you feel like it's maybe stunt casting a little bit. Um, like I know it took me a while, for example, to warm up to uh, the elusive man in Mass Effect because he was played by Martin Sheen. So it's sort of like, okay, I, I recognize this is an old Hollywood guy. This is kind of strange. But seeing David Arquette as the camp, as the head of the camp, you think, oh, good. All right. I know what I'm getting with this guy. It's David Arquette. He's a horror icon. Yeah. He plays the cop in 
uh, Scream, right? Yeah, he's uh, Sheriff Dewey in the Scream series, and he's 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 got a certain uh, he's comfortable. I, if see if this scans. Anytime he plays a character, he seems to be comfortable with how uncomfortable he is as an actor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is true. And he's very expressive. Mm. And the thing is that, talking about expressiveness, these actors and their performances, which are, I would say, very consistently good, are really brought to life by an impressive motion capture technology. It is really amazing. I was actually quite stunned. For example, there's a character called Caitlin. She's the witty agent that I referenced. Mm. She's played by Brenda Song. And her character model is so well made in the quarry that when I played it on like an OLED TV and when she would sit by the campfire and the light would flicker a little bit on her face, she would be like half sitting in the shade. It would look so photorealistic that I would just take a screenshot of it and I would just be like, wow, this is like, uh, this is a point where I would look at this and I would not be able to distinguish whether this is a video game, whether, whether it's actually just a picture of someone. Her more than most too. I think that they they may have put a little more effort into her model um, mm. because I would say that she's the most consistent and it is incredible whenever she's on screen because it, it it does look like you're watching just a film with Brenda Song in it. And that doesn't always carry over to the other characters all the time. But for the most yeah. part, it is when you, you do feel like you're watching a film. It's pretty incredible uh, how real it looks. And I would say that in any other type of game that would almost take me out of it. It would make me feel like I'm playing a... Um, like a Sega CD, a uh, full motion video game or something. But the fact that it's so well put together and it's made to be a cinematic experience with your kind of minimal input, I think makes it work in a really cool way. Yeah, and I think that's really where it smartly draws its highlights on because this ca- this game is really a game about faces and about facial expressions. Yeah. Like the camera is almost always in a detailed or close-up shot at someone's face and while people are talking, the environments are often like, yeah, okay, they're atmospheric and sometimes there's a cool vista here and there, but often it's just like dark, bland woods Mm. or or even like a little bit like glitchy stuff going on, a little bit of like repetitive textures. It's clearly not been the priority to to design like an interesting environment or an especially high fidelity environment. But all the effort really went into bringing these characters to life. And I think that's the right decision to make because really it's all about interacting with others, making decisions. And that's why it's probably the right choice to make. I totally agree. And I think that I was always far more captivated with just thinking, wow, that's that's such a realistic expression. I remember the there's a character, a kind of clairvoyant character who's sort of the narrator or your guide throughout the interstitials in the chapters. And her motion capture was so it was so captivating because of how she she had like a she had like a lazy eye and she was yeah she had a very particular way of talking and it it was it, it grabbed your attention anytime she was speaking to the point where I looked forward to those inner chapter moments because I wanted to see more of that actress you know when when the clairvoyant here mm. uh, who basically yeah she plays the role of the narrator you could say whenever she was on screen it was a little bit eerie for me because she looks very similar to my grandma oh no <laughs> really <laughs> In- yeah, including things like the lazy eye or the way her lips moves, yeah. move in relation to her teeth. It's all so detailed that I almost felt like, Grandma, is that <laughs> you? Suddenly appears on screen. And she's even, she's really interesting. And it's, I think she's one of the great new additions mm. because in Until Dawn, there was the situation that we 
these super, supermassive games titles, they always have a narrator. In Until Dawn, it was a psychiatrist. In the Dark Pictures anthology, they established this exceedingly pretentious librarian. <laughs> who, like, he, he would always like he would walk down the hallway and you would get this like cool intro where he's like put to some like rock music he's like walking down the thingy and he would be like <laughs> he would be like a, a narrator that is mm, a little bit too cool for what he's supposed to do yeah so he was he was and, like a, a a fun take on the um the horror movie host that that kind of character like oh now in this tale let me show you with my cool rock music <laughs> yes, it is like from the X, from the X Factor, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what a great like start to your horror game! <laughs> <laughs> and in the quarry, they have this interesting clairvoyant who also has a little bit more of a tie to the actual setting and the actual story. And they also changed up the system in which you can uh, take a glimpse into the future. As it is decision based, you obviously want to get as much information as possible to make an informed decision. In previous games, that was the case by collecting totems that would show you the future or other kind of items. In this case, now it's all circled around tarot cards. Mm. You would collect these cards. They would, uh, they're not laying in the environment as such, but they are always hidden in a certain camera angle. And when you walk down a path, then the camera would jump and you just have to press the X button to collect that card. It's fairly easy and straightforward and it doesn't disrupt the flow because in a cinematic game, you don't want to be someone who basically goes off the beaten path and constantly needs to explore and, you know, try to be completionistic. Instead, you just want to go with the flow of yeah. the story. I think it was implemented a lot better than the totems and until dawn because it, it until dawn it really felt like you were going out of your way to collect things and as you say this is just the camera it makes it very clear when it's on screen you have to you know you do have to look around the environment a little bit to find them but it's not like you have to pick up a rock or you know go under some brush or do anything crazy out of the way and I also like that they were they were really used in an interesting narrative way because obviously the tarot cards Things like the star, the chariot, the tower, they all have clear connections to the characters that you're playing. And so not only would you be able to get a glimpse of uh, a clip um, from the clairvoyant to let you know what may happen, but you also had to do some some kind of divining of your own to figure out, okay, well, who in this cast is really like the devil card? Or who in this cast is the empress, right? And I think that that was a cool little moment for me because it made me really think about what I was doing. I think they're generally pretty good at making you think about these predictions, mm. these like tiny glimpses of potential sequences because you never know whether this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. So someone opens a door and something happens and then you don't know, well, should I open that door or should I not open that door when I encounter it? But you do at least know to pay specific attention for that particular moment. And I find that really cool. I like that she also gives you the option, and this was this was technically just a gameplay option in Until Dawn. You could not see the totem. You could pick up the totem and not watch the clip. But what I really like is that the setup with the clairvoyant is that you have an option. You can you can pick to see a glimpse of the future or you can choose to move on. And if you move on, she's like, all right, suit yourself. Not everybody wants to see everything. <laughs> <laughs> she was actually really upset with me the first like three chapters because I didn't find, find any. any tarot cards. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I, I was looking in exactly the way that we described before. Like I was walking around. I was like walking around the on the edges of the of the level of the area in which you're in. Yeah. And I was like trying to lift up some kind of thing. And I was like, why are these cards? It can't be true. And then I realized like, okay, that's not how you collect them at yeah. all. She gets so upset with you. She's like, I left them there yeah, for you on just, purpose. 
Yeah. She just kept, look harder. Yeah. Like, Jesus, I'm already all trying right. my best. Yeah. I'm just trying to survive. Listen, lady, I'm pretty on edge as it is, all right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that, to me, the most fun I had mm. when I felt like my decisions really made a difference and this is something that games have for a long time struggled with. Luckily, the supermassive titles have always been pretty good at that. Mm. Of putting you into a situation where it's like, do you want to do this or that? And then you can choose whatever you want. And you might not get an immediate effect. There are some things, of course, where you have an immediate reaction. But there are also other choices that you make where things basically take a turn way later down the line. It's called, it's the principle of prolonged causality. Mm. It's super important to imbue players with a sense of power and autonomy. Because yeah, are you gonna, if I maybe, I give a brief example, are you going to pick up a set of firecrackers or not? Yeah. You don't know what's gonna happen. You could pick them up and it could be useful because you could defend yourself or it could be dangerous as in you might harm yourself by picking them up and accidentally throwing them at someone. Way later on in the game, then you see the development of what this might come to and what it, how it, they might help or harm you. What I like about it too is that it doesn't, it doesn't pull the rug out from under you where we were talking about how these characters conform to certain tropes. And I think that in my experience with the choices I made, I would think, okay, would Emma, for example, take these firecrackers? And based on the scene that had happened prior to that decision, I said, no, I think she's a little more pragmatic. And I don't think she would, I, I, that seems a little too mischievous for her. And so you think, okay, that's going to maybe help me later. And without giving any spoilers, it does, right? And so I think that it doesn't, it, it really makes you feel like your choices actually mean something and that it rewards you for paying attention and trying to consider the narrative on its own terms. Yeah, that's a lot more of the source of tension yeah. rather than actually being uh, chased by a monster or having some kind of creepy creature coming after you because you know that you have to always keep in mind that each character, I think, has about between 10 to 12 different ways to die yeah. throughout the game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I can I can say that I'm really, I'm quite ver well versed in playing these like decision-based horror games. And my first, the first time I went, got all the way through to the ending, it was pretty terrible. It was pretty grim. Like I didn't Same. get that many people through. Yeah. I think that it, it really, it doesn't cheapen any of the deaths because all of these choices you make, you can kind of, one of the systems I loved in Until Dawn was that it was set up around the butterfly effect. That was the, the way that it was presented to you is that these actions have ripples later on. And that's similar in the, in the quarry. And what I really love is that anytime somebody dies, it doesn't feel cheap because you look back on all the things that you did and you said, oh, of course that was going to happen. Why didn't I see that? And that is a really cool source of tension and not just like a disappointment or a fail state in a video game. I really yeah. like how they do that. It doesn't have a fail state at all. Even when the most atrocious thing happens and you lose a character that you might really cherish, yeah. it's it's painful, but you have to move on because as many of these games do, you have to live with every single decision that you make. I actually made a mistake very early on in the game. Mm. And then I thought, that was the first time I played it. I thought like, ah, damn it, I'm just gonna, you know, like load a checkpoint briefly and see whether I can do that better. I thought maybe if I just close the application and bring it back up, it would load the last checkpoint. But that's not the case. This game really plays like a film in that sense. If you turn it off and you turn it back on, you're exactly in the sequence where you had left off. So you can't undo anything 
except, and this is only unlocked when you are, when you've completed the first playthrough, you can trigger a rewind feature. And with that rewind feature, you can throughout the entirety of the game, you can three times rewind the death of a character and try again to prevent it from happening. It's a cool feature. And I think a way that uh, strengthens the replay value of it, because you'll remember certain choices and you'll think ahead. I'm, I'm about two chapters into my second playthrough at this point, and I'm, I'm excited to do that. It doesn't feel like a chore to me because there's so much that you don't see. In fact, there was one thing that I totally missed on my first playthrough that speaking again to how it kind of rewards your paying attention to the narrative, there is an option early on when, as you mentioned, Jacob wants to spend another night at the camp so that he can try to prolong things with Emma, his crush. And you have a decision early on, how are you going to sabotage the minivan? <laughs> and I was playing this with my girlfriend and she made the brilliant observation. The two options are cut the fuel line or take the rotor arm from the engine. And she said, well, don't cut the fuel line. That's going to be impossible to fix if you need to get out of here. And so chose the rotor arm and you think, okay, that's going to affect how I may escape. No, it has a different effect altogether that you get to see like a particular piece of evidence to put the narrative together. So it does pull the rug out from under you, but it still rewards your thinking in the way that you thought where, okay, this decision is going to be right. It was, but for reasons you totally, you totally missed, which is very cool. Yeah, that's, I think that's the brilliance of having such a black box mm. where you, you have to make a decision, an informed decision, of course. But as uh, at least in, in video game uh, video game studies, it is often referred to as wicked problems because <laughs> you can't fully anticipate the consequences yeah. of what's going to happen, and you don't have all the information available to you. Because sometimes it's interesting that information is withheld, mm. and you still have to be able to decide on some kind of grounds. It shouldn't just be random, just like in the case of how to sabotage the car. But you don't need to give players all kinds of information in order to make that decision just only a little bit so that it remains interesting wicked problems would be a great supermassive game title wouldn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it's also in many ways i think it is better than any other supermassive game so far um the cast for example is one that i find the most impressive the characters, I can't remember every single character from Until Dawn, but it seems to me like just from a personal recollection as if the cast of the quarry is the one I like the most, probably, or this this might be, this is probably something that has changed while playing through the quarry. At the beginning, I felt they are all kind of douchebags. I don't like any of these people. <laughs> yeah. And it only comes over time. Yeah. Over time, these, some of the characters at least really grew on me over mm. time. And I thought like, ah, I was always happy when I could play a character like Dylan, for example, who I got really kind of emotionally close to because he was such just such a charming person. Yeah, I felt the exact same way. And I think that my, my favorites by the, end of it, by the end of it ended up being Ryan and Dylan because I feel that they had, at least the way I play it, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but they had the most chemistry and they felt the most fleshed out. And whenever it changed over and you saw that you were playing as one of them, I got very excited to see how their story was going to progress. I think my favorites were also Dylan and then I would say Caitlin. Caitlin's hilarious. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say Caitlin because she's hilarious. She's also very beautiful, mm. I must say. Uh, the hot one is not Caitlin, uh, but Caitlin is the actual hot one. Yeah, there, there's that great 
uh, again, I, we're not going to get into spoilers, but I do want to mention this. The line that cracked me up was when they were having in early in the game, there's a introduction to the shooting mechanic and it's set up as a contest between two of the boys, Jacob and Nick and Caitlin is officiating it. And she's being very bossy about how they're going to do this. And Jacob says, isn't it, isn't she kind of hot when she gets bossy like that? And she's walking away and she's like, I'm always hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, She's got this kind of attitude, and she's also a character that I can mostly identify with, I think, if I were into su in such a situation, then she's kind of the person that I would want to be. You know, she's yeah. often a little bit more of the voice of reason in situations, but she's not cold. Well, she can be a little bit cold and insulting. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's pretty, pretty incredible voice acting. I think maybe we can even roll a brief clip, because I remember I have clipped a very short sequence a very brief dialogue from the game, which is spoiler-free because it doesn't name any names of, of what's happening and it's only a couple of seconds long. Mm. But just as a brief introduction to how you can imagine the dynamic of the characters to be. So this is three people talking. You're going to hear Emma at the beginning, Dylan briefly in between, and Caitlin as well. It's just like a couple of seconds long and then afterwards we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back. She can't be gone. She can't. It was quick. She didn't suffer. She was dead in seconds. What? What's wrong with you? Just fix the car. How did this all get so fucked up? I know. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
And we are back talking about the quarry and the amazing diversity of choices that this game presents you with, because I do think it is quite beyond the standards of the games that Supermassive games have made before. Mm. I found especially the mechanic pretty cool that you are sometimes presented with situations in which you can intervene or not intervene. This is not necessarily new, but it's implemented in a cool way so that intervening is not necessarily good or bad. You always have to ascertain in a very short time span whether intervening is the right thing to do or what you want to do. A good example is, let's say you're walking through the woods as one of the characters and you're all alone and you hear a noise in the bushes. And so you get an interrupt prompt that says, do you want to call out? And you have to think in real time, well, okay, I could call out, maybe it's somebody friendly, or more likely it's a monster that wants to eat me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to be quiet. So the better option there may be to let that interrupt pass you by and not do anything. That's one of these classic examples where you can influence things so they don't feel like a typical horror movie. Because then in a horror yeah. movie, it would always be like, hello, who's there? <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. like, why are you shouting? No, you idiot. If it's a monster, yeah. you're drawing all the attention to yourself. Yeah. I do appreciate that. And I think uh, this might also be a good time to say that the the aesthetics of the game, while the backgrounds are really kind of bland and just spooky forest uh, most of the time, one of the really fun inserts in the game is that the tutorials are are these great animated sequences that are narrated by like a Rod Serling Twilight Zone type character. And I just remember one of them saying, sometimes the best option is to do nothing at all. Yeah. But yeah. They are really perfect. cool comic <laughs> shorts that are implemented mm. there. They fit this kind of summer camp theme and they are a little bit cute and funny and they explain in a very concise way what you're going to do in which situation. It didn't help me getting tripped up by trying to hold my breath uh, just oh, because yeah. I was so used to it from Until Dawn. Mm -hmm. The thing is they changed the mechanic. In Until Dawn you would have the situation that if you had to let's say you hide and there's a monster nearby and it's trying to sniff you out and then your character has to hold their breath. Then you would have to hold the controller very, very still. And the LED mm. that was on top of the PS4 controller, the Dual DualShock 4, then it would be tracked. And any kind of movement you made, that might be detrimental. And that was kind of cool because it encouraged you as a player to sit very still and be very tense, just like the character is. They changed that and they made it now a button prompt where you have to just hold mm. down the X button. It's a lot easier to do and I see why they changed it. I think it is probably an improvement because this this Until Dawn mechanic where you had to actually hold still, it was so glitchy. It was so sensitive. Yeah. How many times a character in Until Dawn has died during my playthroughs because accidentally something happened. Just imagine you have to sneeze. Oh my god. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I wonder if this were a uh, PS5 exclusive, if they would have done something interesting with the haptic feedback on the controller, because I was kind of expecting that. There wasn't a whole lot of that in this game, and you, you kind of do think in a, in a more cinematic game, they might utilize that to their advantage more, but that may be the result of it being cross-platform and not being able to be so specific to different hardware. But yeah, I think it, it was certainly easier, and I will say that it got me once and I, it, it resulted in the death of a character that I was very upset about. Ah, that sounds but, painful. Yeah. And I, because I don't know if you had this, but I kept expecting there will be a time where I think I'm safe with half of my breath left and then the thing will come back and I won't be safe. 
Did you ever have that moment where you thought, I can't let go just yet because it's going to come back? Yes, I always wait until the point where I think now I'm definitely, definitely safe. Yeah, I I did not wait. Oh, I waited too long, I think, and at one point. You and missed so your window. Is, I did. Mm. And so it's a very it's a very tense mechanic, and I like that it, it plays with your expectations, especially if you're not only an Until Dawn fan, but a horror fan in general, because it's kind of twisting your mind up a little bit. Ah, it's really nice. And it, mm. I, I think it also improved a lot in the relationship department because mm. in Until Dawn, it was already the case that each character had these attributes and there were these relationships that you could establish. In the Dark Pictures anthology, they really went overboard with this by indicating in detail all kinds of like almost character stats. And oh, yeah. while that can be nice, it was just too intricate. It was overcomplicated. And here in the quarry, they reduced it to basically a brief textual insert that mm. just says, I don't know, Dylan is disappointed in you. Or basically like X will remember this, which is a classic yeah. line. Uh, Clementine will remember this. <laughs> from some of them, some of them really cut to the quick too, because there was a, there's one I think that we both got that was the group is getting bored of Ryan. Yeah. At the very beginning, you can trigger that. Yeah. Breaks your heart. It's yeah. like, come on, dude's not yeah. that boring. Be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but I think still that they could reduce it further. If I could make changes in the way that it's displayed, I would say leave it out entirely. It violates the principle of show, don't tell. Don't tell me that the group is getting bored of Ryan. Show me how the group is mm. getting bored of Ryan by the way the group behaves. I think that would be favorable. These textual inserts, they always felt a little bit out of place for me. Well, and sometimes it, it almost goes against what you think the tone of the scene is, where you'll say, oh, really? They felt that way? Uh, okay. And, and I think that I totally agree with you. It, it is a little intrusive. It kind of takes you out of the moment. And with the motion capture being so impressive, you know, we're not talking L.A. Noir anymore. You know, yeah. these are really impressive facial features like we talked about and um, different reactions. So I think a fun middle ground would be because the, the technology is so incredible, don't have those textual inserts, but keep them in the, um, the sort of journal aspect in the main menu where you can you get sort of a breakdown of how different choices affected the story if you put those reactions written down there then you could reflect on it later and say oh i read I, re I read his facial expression as disappointed and i was correct he was disappointed yeah in this in this uh text option that's a really interesting observation though because i often had that situation that i felt like it the insert popped up ryan is disappointed and I looked at the character and I thought, no, he's not. He seems fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't seem to, he just seemed like neutral, like, okay, whatever, you know, it's like, mm, it's fine. Yeah. I think when you have such high profile actors at your disposal and such impressive motion capture technology, then you should be able to convey these reactions in the faces of the characters without being, as you said, L.A. Noir overboard, where it's like when someone's lying, they're like, like all over the place. Oh, man. <laughs> like tugging at their collar and have they have their eyebrows up yeah. to their forehead. <laughs> Ryan is disappointed and like grabs his head being like, no, no, <laughs> I am very disappointed. Um, I, I do, I do think that it, yeah, that, that did take me out quite a bit. And you know what else? I don't know if you got this. How did you feel about the, so at a certain point you get options to say, to respond to something and it'll say like compliant or defiant 
Those are your two options. Yeah. And then it'll say directly underneath it what the character will say. So I actually kind of liked that because in so many games, it's it's such a joke that you'll choose an option and it'll just say sarcastic. But then what the character says, you're like, that's not sarcastic. Yeah. Why, why did you say it that way? I don't understand. I, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say that. I wanted to be sarcastic. So I appreciated that it gave you a little glimpse into what was actually going to be said. I think that is one of the classic problems of Mass Effect, isn't it? Where you, 100%. Yeah, where you choose <laughs> yeah. something and then you're like, oh, but that's not at all what I meant. That's not at all what I wanted to say. I think it's smart. Yeah. I think the compliant or defiant things, they are probably only there to give you a little bit of a framework because you only see like the first mm. couple of words or it's like a brief blurb, basically, of what you're going to say. And you can't always immediately deduce. It would maybe also take too long for, to make these informed decisions. That's why I think yeah. it's cool. I do like that there's no no good and evil system or uh, nice and bad. It's like, uh, often it's like you have something like empathetic or dismissive uh, where it's very clear, but that's not yeah. always the case. Like you, you don't always have an option where one is necessarily the right thing to do and the other one is not. And I think that's cool. Yeah, it was, it again, it makes you think about what's actually going to happen because it's not, it doesn't set up, it's always a binary option, but it doesn't set it up as good and bad. Yeah. There's nuance to each of the choices that I think, um, like I remember again early with Nick and Abigail, um, Abigail goes to draw something and the options for Nick are to be sincere and say, wow, you're really good at drawing or to be like silly and say, draw me. And I chose draw me because I thought, oh, we'll be flirty. And she did not like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you never know what's going to happen, really. You have to kind of think about, all right, how are these characters interacting and what would be the right thing to say here? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's something that you could rather do when you know a person. Then you can ascertain that a little bit yeah. better. But in this case, it's kind of cool because Nick and Abby are, uh, they're kind of a little bit in a, like they're starting to flirt a little bit, but they're both kind of shy about it and not really expressive mm. with their emotions. And so it makes perfect sense that, that such mistakes would happen, that Nick would accidentally offend her and then maybe react to it in some kind of way that even contributes to their bond eventually, I think yeah. that's cool that you're not incentivized to basically decide that this character is going to be a douchebag now and then it has to be consistently a douchebag in order to achieve some kind of result. It's a fine tightrope they're walking because it's a very simple game in terms of gameplay and yet the, the options you get are very full of depth. And I think that that's pretty impressive to have just two options and you really have to think, how am I going to respond here? And one thing I really like is that those dialogue options that you get, those aren't timed. So the quick time events, those obviously are quick time events. But if you're choosing what to say, there's no timer with how you're going to react. So you can sit and think for a little bit if you need to. Yeah. It doesn't rush you. And even when it does, when it requires a quick time event input, which is almost the default thing that happens when you're in some kind of conflict or combat interaction, and even sometimes just randomly when someone accidentally throws down a coffee mug and you have to catch it or something, <laughs> or a phone drops and you're like, wow, I caught the There's phone. There's a lot of key throwing yeah. in the game. <laughs> they always throw things, don't they? Is that what people just do in the US? They always like throw the phone, always like throw the keys. It's like, come on, you can just take yeah. a step towards me always, to me. <laughs> always overhand too. Yeah. It's never a toss underhanded. <laughs> yeah. It's always just full on like throwing a baseball at something. <laughs> it's a phone. It's, it can break. <laughs> Don't throw it at me. <laughs> I think though that the quick time events, right? The thing is that the framework is clearly one of an interactive movie. So this game is not 
necessarily challenging in a gameplay way. And most of the time, these QuickTime events, they are so easy that you can mm. just simply say like, okay, I'll just press. You only ever press the stick in a direction. They made it so simple that you don't even have to press like different buttons or sequences of buttons or something or hold a button and press another one. No, you only have to press the left stick in a direction and sometimes hammer the X button. And that's it already. Yeah. Like it's super simple. That makes it very accessible. And there are only very few sequences in which you're actually challenged to, let's say, aim at something and shoot. And that's not necessarily easy. It sounds super easy, but it isn't. Like I played so many games in which you shoot things. I can say that in the quarry, I think I missed every single shot. <laughs> Just because yeah. it was then such a hectic situation that I was like, whoop, <laughs> it was already it's, done. It, it is hectic. And I think none of the, with the exception of maybe Caitlin, none of the kids are marksmen. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that you're going to have a hard time yeah. <laughs> figuring out where to shoot. None of them is Chris no. Redfield, unfortunately. No. He would definitely yeah, improve no. the entire game a lot. <laughs> Boy, he would. Yeah. Well, I think uh, maybe, maybe this is a good segue into how the, the narrative is set up because the last thing that I want to say about the quick time events is that it's, I think our instinct as gamers is to succeed in quick time events. And we already mentioned that there are some options where you can just say, I'm not going to choose this. I don't want to call out. I don't want to shoot into the bushes, but there are other quick time events like the, um, the stick movements that you mentioned where there's one sequence in particular that drastically changes the outcome of a particular character. If you fail certain quick time events and succeed in others. So it it really is like, again, the, the depth of quick time events is surprising yeah. in this game. Yeah. And it leads to really varied outcomes for the characters in the story. It does. These outcomes are quite surprising, though I must say never really creepy. I found them not really scary. I really am... Yeah. Um, I'm not like a, a hardcore horror dude. <laughs> like, mm. I have seen such things like Insidious and, and The Grudge and a lot of these slasher films that it references as well. Yeah, I didn't ever feel properly scared in The Quarry and I feel like that might be part of the point of the game. Whereas Until Dawn was a little bit more concerned with actually setting up proper scares. The Quarry yes. is more like... Uh, it's. It's more like setting up tension rather than scares. For example, you get to see the monsters relatively early on. You do know... Chapter 2. Yeah you, yeah. you do know what you ought to be afraid of, basically. There is more there are more mysteries involved that you can unravel if you get all the characters to be to stay alive. And if you mm -hmm. unravel the, the story behind everything, finding clues, and that's cool. That's like an interesting mystery that can that you can unravel over time. But it never really was a game that made me feel scared or where after turning off the lights, I would be like, oh, I don't want to be in the dark. Well, this is where I want to go back to the whole mystery idea. Yeah. Because I think Until Dawn had genuinely unnerving moments. I am a hardcore horror fan. I love horror movies books, everything. And I really appreciate when something, here's what I look for in a, in a horror movie or a game. I'm not scared. I don't jump, but I just go, Oh, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that feeling is what I crave when I watch things. And until dawn for me was full of those. And what I loved about it was that until dawn is kind of two games until you get to the end and you realize, Oh no, it was one really well put together story the entire time. And there are certain moments that you reveal certain things and come to certain realizations that are so gut-wrenchingly terrifying and and creepy. I miss that 
in the quarry. And I was, I think I may have set expectations a bit too high because unlike I didn't do the dark pictures, so I didn't know the full extent of the kind of disappointment of yeah. <laughs> Supermassive. And so I went in thinking, oh, it's it's aesthetically like Until Dawn. There's all these teenage characters again. I bet there's going to be some kind of twist. And there was a little bit of one, or not really a twist, more of a reveal that explained everything, but it just didn't have the same scary oomph that Until Dawn did. It does go very steadily mm. at a very steady pace at gradually feeding you information. It never really surprises mm -mm. and it never really disappoints. I, I felt like it was a very consistent, consistently good uh, story that unraveled because I think each of these mysteries in quotation marks that the quarry holds in themselves, they are not particularly interesting or special, but the way that they interlink is rather neat. Because I felt like, for yeah. at the beginning of playing the quarry, I felt like, wow, there's like five different uh, horror trope mysteries going on here in the background <laughs> that I'll need to unravel. <laughs> and am I literally like, am I hunted by like three different threats? <laughs> or what is going yeah. on? And I think over time, it unravels things... Um, I would say, yeah, in a satisfying way, not in an excellent I, way yeah. or, as you said, in a gut-wrenching way, but so that you can say, okay, that was cool. Like, that was yeah. that was nice. I think there, there's there's one moment where I went, oh, no. <laughs> I, I There was a reveal that bummed me out mm. because I made a choice that I, I later realized could have been prevented because of information that's given to you later in the kind of final chapters. But... I think that without getting into spoilers for what the monsters in either game are, I will say the other thing that really affected me in Until Dawn that's not present in The Quarry is that in The Quarry, a lot of the scariness is reversible. There's a whole mechanic, there's not a mechanic, there's a whole part of the narrative that is, without giving anything away, there is an infection that can be cured. Yes. And in Until Dawn, it's very clear, no, that is permanent <laughs> and terrifying and a fate worse than death. And if you go that route, it's worse than anything else in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Until Dawn and is a little bit yeah. more fatalistic than the quarry is. Yeah. Higher stakes, I think. Higher and stakes. And the characters, at least in Until Dawn, the characters also take things a bit more seriously than in the quarry. Mm -hmm. The quarry is a little bit more lighthearted in many ways. Even when something grueling happens, just as a... As one brief example, without spoiling too much, uh, there is a sequence in which one character can have their hand cut off. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this is terrible. When If this happens to you, this is terrible. You might be in shock for a second and you might not realize what's happening. Okay, fair enough. But in the quarry, it's literally like, oh yeah, okay, um, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> just go, maybe I can get a, a cool prothesis, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's also a deliberate Evil Dead reference, which kind of, if you're a horror fan, makes you realize, oh, this is meant to be a little more playful mm. than anything that happens in Until Dawn. But can it be a little bit impactful at least? I was hoping, I was thinking to mm. myself, like, maybe because I'm, I've am i worked in the emergency room for quite a while and I, I just looked at that <laughs> thing and I just thought, like, I wonder whether Supermassive Games know what an arterial bleeding is because... <laughs> That's uh, that's not what happens. It's not like because you're in shock, it might not bleed. Okay, but only for a second or, or something. Yeah. And it, it will bleed 
and it will be like no or, tomorrow and you'll be in grave danger yeah or do another a, another horror trope and have somebody cauterize it you know mm. i was expecting that at yeah. some point like oh we got to put your hand in the fire come on man yeah <laughs> it's just like nah i don't have a hand anymore no. well, i wrapped it up i'm good nah. yeah, i took some he i think he takes advil at one point yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, i know i'm good <laughs> i'll take a painkiller i'm fine it actually doesn't hurt that much and it's this is the case it. consistently. Like we're using this mm. one hand example here, which is though representative of many of the, let's say, injuries and uh, harm that the characters face, which never really seems to phase them in a substantial way. Like the screaming in fear is more like a reaction that just is part of being a character in a horror thing. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't know that I was never scared. I was more intrigued and I think it felt more of, uh, it felt more like a fantasy story than it did a horror story like Until Dawn did. Mm, yeah. And that's fine. That's fair. But I was, I was expecting more creepiness yeah. and I think it, the creepiest it is, is in the prologue and then it, it's not very scary after that, yeah. I would say. So don't be, don't expect to be at the edge of your seat and being mm. like, scared in a way that some psychological horror films would be able to scare you, but rather to be entertained, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Maybe fitting fitting that the narrator in Until Dawn is a psychiatrist and the narrator here is like a carnival worker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like clairvoyant. <laughs> yeah. It also mm. has... It's very aware of the way in which people play these games by offering you three different modes of playing it. Mm. There's obviously, like, there's a standard single-player mode where you cycle through the characters. There's a couch co-op where you play with... You can play with several different people, I guess, and assign characters, and then you just pass on the controller. Or you can play in movie mode, which I also tried briefly, which is kind of interesting uh, in movie mode you can choose between three options either you choose that everyone lives and then you basically just lean back and you watch the entire thing unfold they they just edit out the sequences where characters would be like moving around and where nothing happens and mm. only edit the parts where something is discovered or an interaction happens and you don't make any decisions whatsoever you just watch the same with the option of having a movie mode in which everyone dies if you just want to for the lols See how that turns out. And then there's even a third option where you can set some parameters. You can define mm. each character's behavior patterns, how quick their reactions are. So basically how successful they are at quick time events. And then you can just basically you set up the parameters and then you just let the story play out and see what happens. It's pretty cool. And I think it, uh, it makes the option of, okay, I want to play through just blind and see what happens. And then maybe I don't want to play through a second time, but I do want to know what happens if, you know, everybody survives. So I, I'll just watch it. And I think that's a, a cool feature for a game like this. It totally is, yeah. Online multiplayer, though, is not available as of this point mm. because the team and server were actually located in Ukraine and Supermassive mm. is currently moving them. So they had to delay the launch of the online multiplayer. It's going to launch presumably on July 8th. And I think they made the right decision here because the thing is that with the Dark Pictures anthology, the online multiplayer was always a little bit clunky up to the point where in the House of Ashes, we didn't really get it to work at all. Like once or twice it worked and it was like super spotty in the way it worked. Now, I appreciate that they put a little bit more time into this and it seems that there will be this online multiplayer mode where you play the game and then there are up to seven spectators that <laughs> watch watch you play and they can vote on decisions and then the decision that has the most votes will the one that is being picked. I think 
This is really cool because it is very much inspired by the uh, sense of disconnect that we have experienced during the pandemic, where yeah. you can't, maybe you can't just play with, with people like that, but you can then have this kind of interactive movie experience where everyone votes and you just watch things unfold. I think that's pretty neat. It is. And I think it's cool too, because it feels like it's inspired by and built for streamers too, to have these kind of watch party events. I know there's like a streamer mode where it, it takes out all the copyrighted music, Yeah, but the idea that you're, you're at the helm, you're sitting there with the controller, but you know, eight friends are saying, no, we should do it this way. That's really, that again, replay value skyrockets with that because it can become like a party game at that point yeah they actually have some experience with that as well because they made a game called mm. hidden agenda beforehand which is also mm. like an interactive movie where you can just join with your phone and then you make oh, cool. certain decisions but one of the players gets a certain objective to sabotage uh, the goal uh -huh. of the players and then you have to kind of find out who is sabotaging you so oh, it's a the game in itself is not particularly great but it's like for a short party game where it's like a one hour thriller thing that you can play um, maybe before you go out with friends that's pretty yeah. neat definitely worth it yeah cool idea well perhaps we, we we've been pretty laudatory of this game at this we've point been, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> no no game is without its flaws indeed and I think it's worth mentioning that there are quite a few flaws in the quarry. There are. We definitely. don't have to get into all of them, but there are some glaring ones for sure. Yeah, I found, for example, the camera work on the one hand quite impressive. On the other, whenever you have control over the camera yourself, it seemed very finicky and all over the place. I feel like even this mechanic of controlling the flashlight, you're basically walking through a corridor and you control the flashlight with the right stick. They did this better in previous games. Here it's just a little bit like it happened all the time that the character would just like look at the ceiling all of a sudden and so on. Like the flashlight was way too sensitive for the camera movement. Yeah. No, the characters are always looking up <laughs> to the point where I thought there was something hiding in the rafters all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I think the other thing that kind of drove me nuts and really took me out of it was it, truly this is a, a beautiful game when it comes to motion capture, but then other textures are all over the place. There's a scene with... Uh, two characters in a lake and they're splashing each other and the water i mean it looked like it was like clip art it looked really mm. bad to the point where there's an option to <laughs> there's an option to splash again one of those interrupt options and i chose not to do it because i didn't want to see the water again <laughs> it is pretty terrible yeah. yes and i think it probably goes to show that they put they put a lot of effort in the facial animations and not so much in the especially interactive parts of the environment. Yeah. Often these things are just like still images and then they're cool. But as soon as you interact with things, it gets weird quickly. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I, I think it could have done with a little bit more time. Also with such tiny quirks, like for example, I don't know whether this happened for you, but for me, uh, there was so, several sequences where the subtitles <laughs> suddenly activated just for like one thing where it's like, what? And then it disappears yes. again. No, that happened. I think we're talking about the exact same moment. Was it at the beginning? Yeah. It, it happened at the beginning and then throughout the game two okay. more times. I think. I think it only happened to me once because I turned subtitles on shortly after that because I was I was playing in the dark and I wanted to make sure I was getting all the information. Yeah. Yeah, that that totally I, I thought it was I thought <laughs> that happened it happens in a scene where there's kind of a ghost involved, and I thought, oh, is the ghost messing with things? What's happening to my game? <laughs> <laughs> That would be such a cool thing, but you know what happened mm. to me? There was like a, a sequence where something was revealed, and then in the subtitles, <laughs> I had them turned off entirely, yeah. and suddenly subtitle popped up and said, shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, 
Okay. <laughs> Talk oh, about wow. like show don't yeah, tell, yeah. you know? Shop. It's like <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. And there would be a really good idea though. It would have been a really good idea for them to have like these ghost like interventions in yeah, the system or yeah. something. No, I thought I thought oh, be hopeful for a minute that they're doing something kind of fun, but no, it's just a weird glitch. Oh well. <laughs> Shall we briefly address the fact that a central part of the narrative is actually circled around a podcast? Yes, I would I I have a note uh in our, you know, we always uh notate our show. For those of you listening, and I have a note that specifically says, we are better podcasters than Bizarre Yet Bonafide. <laughs> bizarre Yet Bonafide? That was a joke that I made in mm. the intro, and but I found it, yeah. I mean, it's obviously a fake podcast, yeah. but and it plays out in its entirety during the credits, if I recall correctly. There's like a whole episode. Yeah. It goes on for a long time. Like the entire credit sequence is basically just you listening to a like 15-minute podcast. It's episode. interesting, because if you remember... The Until Dawn epilogue is the police questioning the survivors, which is sort of where they draw everything together. And that's what they were doing with the podcast, where it's these two uh, podcasters who are telling ghost stories and looking into murder and the paranormal, and they kind of break down what happened in the game, which is an interesting idea. It made me think we should do maybe a video game mystery podcast. Oh, that'd be great. Yes, we should. <laughs> we've, we've we've done an episode before on like cursed video games or yes, something, right? Yeah, where we were, oh yeah, I like this idea. We can do a uh, an unsolved mysteries episode of games. Yeah. Yes. Put that in the file. Studying bizarre, uh, studying pixels bizarre yet bonafide. Yes, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I would say The Quarry, it's definitely worth a playthrough. Mm. I enjoyed it, especially for the first time and even for the second time around by getting a whole lot more information out of things and paying close attention to the developments, mm. making different decisions. So I would say if this game came out 10 years ago, it would have completely blown my mind. Nowadays, I would say it's a good game. Mm. It is a return to form. I would say, please, please, Supermassive Games, don't go down the road of the Dark Pictures anthology. It just didn't work. And you know what? I would like to see them do the most. Mm. A game that's not horror at all. I think they are cool. They're really good at, you know, character development. And I think they could tell a wonderful story without going into the horror tropes, like a genuinely heartfelt story, a decision-based slice mm. of life story. Oh my God, I would find that absolutely delicious. A slice of life or I think they would do really well with a, a detective story. Sort yeah, of like yeah, detective crime or mystery story. Kind of like their take on Heavy Rain. I think they would mm. they their character writing is so good. I think that it would be it would be really nice. And I love their when they lean into the mystery aspect of things, I think it's really compelling. And so I think a thriller detective story would be great for them. Yeah. So it's a horror game that's better as a mystery game, basically. I think so. And I think a lot of horror stories are better as mysteries because it's That's true. It's all about surprise, right? And so when things come together, you know, it feels more like you were people always say that horror and comedy are very similar because a laugh is the same as a scream, you're just surprised. And I think that horror works better when you are in on the joke at the end of it and you you've put everything together. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I may want to say one thing to that, because oh, please. I actually just realized, of course, the thing that I like the least about a lot of horror things is jump scares. Yeah. Because jump scares are, jump scares are cheap. Jump scares is just like suddenly something pops up um and you didn't expect it. Fair enough. I have no problem with a jump scare here and there to basically loosen me up a little bit yeah. for the rest of the stuff and to grab my attention. But truly, I agree with the idea that good horror stories are good mystery stories because you yeah. are intrigued and you want to know what happened, what's behind this, and how can it be fixed if it can be fixed at all. Yeah. 
And I think that's why that, that would absolutely absolutely be a good principle to go in. So yeah, let's say uh, they shall do a proper mystery or crime game. I think that would be really good at that. Yes. And I think the last thing I'll say is that I do recommend this game. I think it's worth going in. And we did a really good job, I would say, to pat ourselves on the back. We didn't spoil anything. Play the game. It's it's really interesting and it's a good story. I will say this though. I bought this game for 70 US dollars. I think I overpaid. I think that this game is, uh, it's incredible. A lot of work went into it, of course. So I know that I don't want to take work or time away from the people who put it together because it is really good looking and a well put together game with the exception of the water textures. But <laughs> I will say that it's probably more worth it for you to play when it comes down in price a bit. I would say maybe more like the 40 to $50 range is more fair. It just, uh, coming off of Elden Ring especially, which is $60, $70, and as you said, stuff on 200 plus hours of content, it, it feels like a weird step down for the same price. So that would be my thought on it. Well, thank you so very much for listening. Please feel free to submit your thoughts and questions on studyingpixels.com contact. If you want to support us and make this show happen, then you can get Studying Pixels Plus. Please visit studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out more about that. You can follow us on your podcast app. And of course, you can reach out on social media. Wonderful talking to you. It's always a treat. Thank you, Dan, for the wonderful conversation about the quarry. Oh, likewise. And then we're going to talk again next week. See you then. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.